All right, everybody, welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. Uh, as we know, we discuss the best alternative rock from past to present day. I'm joined tonight with my co-host, Chris Logan. Hello. And we've got a special episode tonight. Normally, when we talk about best albums, we tend to do it by year and go through a whole list of normally like 30 for 30, 25 for 25, et cetera, et cetera. But this time we thought we would focus on one album because it was so important and so huge that it really kind of deserves its own episode. And that album is, of course, Nirvana's Nevermind, which turns 30, 30 on, on Saturday. Uh, Saturday. Uh, yeah. Yeah. On the, on, I believe it's the 24th and yeah. uh, 30 years from an album that came out and just lit it up like no album I've I I feel like that's the closest that's we're gonna come to in our lifetime to Beatlemania was was how I felt about yeah. when that came out because I remember distinctly I was going to school in St Louis at Webster University and I met this guy named Chris another Chris and he was big music guy and and he's he's like have you ever heard the band Nirvana and I hadn't at the time I was like no. He's like, they're kind of like the Pixies. If you like the Pixies, I go, yeah, I like the Pixies. He's like, he's like, should check it out. So he just got Nevermind and we took it. I I took it, made a copy of it. I'm like, these guys are really good. I'm digging this. And like, it's very catchy, but it's got some crunch to it. And like every song is like, you know, an earworm. Like it's all, you know, and I was telling people, have you heard Nirvana? I told told my friend Jason, have you heard Nirvana? And they're like, no, no. I'm like, you got to go check these guys out. Then I think it was like a week later, we were watching 120 Minutes. The music video for, for Smells Like Teen Spirit came on, which was right. iconic. And I was like, yeah, I was like, cool. These guys are getting some exposure. This is cool. And then I think it was like a week later right. that everything they went from this band that I just heard about to being a band that everybody heard about. It was crazy. I've never seen anything like it before yeah. in, my, in my lifetime. Of all the bands that I've liked and all the big bands that I've liked and the small bands and whatever, I've never seen a, a trajectory like that. And that. Yeah, just capped off off that whole year. Do you remember the first time you heard it? So yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly was. They, Nirvana was already kind of on my radar because I had already spent like a, a little time with Sub Pop Records, and so I was I was familiar, kind of familiar with Bleach, not not overtly, but I knew like Negative Creep, and well, pretty much Negative Creep was was my was my only. I, I never had a seven inch or anything like that, but which that would be awesome if I did. But uh, I didn't. But um, hearing that they had a, a you know some some new music coming you know coming out, I was certainly certainly intrigued to hear it. So I had no idea after after I heard the first dong da dong 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 dong, I was like, holy shit, what's going on here? It was so super melodic, heavy, you know, it, it reflected every kind of like happy antisocial, I'm not part of your crowd, we have our own crowd kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was it, it it was the antithesis of the song that it was being played, you know, probably played to in the future once they started to, you know, eat it. Eat it all up because it went after it hit um, alternative radio around here. It went from zero to one hundred and sixty. 
there was no there was no stopping. And I actually was working in uh, uh, I had started working in record stores at that time. And I remember checking in the our shipment for Nirvana. We had eight CDs and three cassettes. And I went to the manager and I said, you're going to need to get more of this. Yeah. He was like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. I said, okay. And I just left it at that. We sold all of those by 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We opened at 10. They were all gone. Cassettes, CDs. Even the people that wanted CD were like, I'll just take the cassette. At least I got it. We did not get it back in stock for two weeks because they did not make enough of this. The The anticipation of this record was good, yet minimal good. Not like it's going to just throw a, a complete wrench into the way that people viewed punk music within a sense. I mean, because they, they were considering this still punk music. In, in, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, I was kind of okay with that, but it still had a lot of super melody. I mean, the only thing that set it into punk were, were some of the anti-guitar um, solos where there was just, you know, some tonal noise here and there. But, um, yeah, man, it, was, it, it really, it shattered it all. It shattered everything. It was just... Interesting because you know a couple years before that, you know, it, it, you you were starting to have these big acts. Like you had like the, the Cure's Disintegration, which was a big kind of breakthrough album, and you had yeah, you know, uh, Jane's Addiction, Ritual Daylo, Habitual. You had these these footsteps that were getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and and they were you know all taking kind of a foothold into the the concept, but it was still still kind of seen as as underground even though it really wasn't underground yeah, yeah. It, it was you know that's it back when it was called college rock that was before it became alternative it was college rock and uh and you would you know oh, yeah <laughs> yeah the, 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 it's, it's, you know the, it still made money yeah yeah i mean like bands like the smiths and all, all those groups that were that were popular um you know pixies all of that you know they were yeah they were all all you know you know, spreading the seed of, of what was to come, and Nirvana just kind of they 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 got that momentum. They they benefited from all that came before that. It was kind of pushing. It was pushing and pushing. I think James Addiction was another big building block to this, and uh, with Lollapalooza and all all that. I mean, because that yeah. Lollapalooza was was you know a, a cultural moment that was that was changing things. And I think Nirvana just just came in and, and swept it on it. And it's something that else that, that we'll, we'll get into more, but September, 1991 was just crazy because you, know, you talked about how you were familiar, familiar with Nirvana. The only Seattle band that I was really familiar with at that time, I heard some other mother, mother Lowbone. I saw some videos on MTV and, oh, yeah. but really the one that I knew of was Soundgarden because my friend had the louder than love CD. And right. And another friend had the Screaming Life uh, on cassette. And so that was kind of my first expo- exposure to Seattle music. And I was like, oh, these guys are great. They kind of remind me of the cult a little bit. They kind of remind me of Oled Zeppelin. They also have this kind of weird, almost kind of gothic vibe in places. You know, it, it was just, it was. Yeah. And then they came out 
on the same day as Nevermind with Bad Motor Finger, which is another phenomenal album. And it, it mm-hmm. its only problem is that it just got dwarfed a bit by Nevermind, but it also benefited from Nevermind. I think without Nevermind, Bad Motor Finger may have been another Louder Than Love, which was just a you know, a decent selling but not a great selling album, where whereas Louder Than Love whereas uh Bad Motor Finger became platinum or multi platinum and then uh the month before Pearl Jam's Ten came out, and another band that that been oh, yeah. that they benefited from the Nirvana bump as well, and then you had Alice in Chains, which had put out an album in nineteen ninety actually for Facelift, but then they kind of got yeah they kind of rode that wave in there, and it was it was cool. It was like all of a sudden there was like this was one scene, and you know you had some bands yeah. some bands like Mud Honey or the Melvins or Tad that kind of mm-hmm. fell through the cracks yeah. that you know they. Their influence was there, but they didn't. They didn't get it the same as, as record sales. But those, and I think a lot of those records were were at the be, like towards the beginning of the year. So it was it was kind of like a like a ramp up. Like you know, here's a Screaming Trees record. They're from Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. And and, and so it, it was a it was a slow build for sure. So it was just it was really crazy. You know, and you always, you always hear the uh, the theory that that Nevermind is what helped kill off hair metal. I don't know if that's necessarily true because I think hair metal was kind of already on, on its last legs. I think basically Guns Guns and Roses. <laughs> to me, Appetite for Destruction was kind of like the antidote to hair metal. Even though they get thrown in that camp, which they shouldn't be because they're not. Gun, mm-hmm. Guns and Roses were just a, a hard classic hard rock band, is what they were. That were kind of more. Yeah. They were yeah. not. They had some glam elements, but they were not Britney Fox or anything like that. You know what I mean? I, I think <laughs> they were not enough enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so that seed was already planted. You had albums coming out from bands like Poison that weren't selling as well as the earlier albums did. That one, that that awful one they did with that stand song where they were trying to like have this kind of gospel thing going. It was terrible. But uh, I think Who I think uh, Poison. They had a. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it 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 was it was bad. So I think all those bands were kind of they they kind of knew the writing was on the wall, and I think that just people ready for something new. And Nirvana just stepped into the vacuum and and went with it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, if you just listen to what was and and really just with there, there's just metal. Period. What was coming out then? Um, there was a, there were very um, little glimmers of hope for what not just hair metal, but you know, metal was going to be like in the nineties before it, it, it caught, it kind of caught its, its footing back, you know, because yeah, I mean, if you're relying on LA guns, Hollywood vampires, which actually is not a bad album. I do like not LA terrible. guns. I, I do like LA but, guns. Um, I have to admit it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it if you just look at what the majority of like Warrant and uh, Cinderella, you know what they were doing, it just it it it, it was almost like they were already tired of each other. Honestly, is what it seemed like, and so the songwriting was not there as as tight as it was uh, back in the really the mid early to mid eighties. So. You know, riffs between members about why aren't you writing good enough songs and so on and so forth. It's it is a little bit more of the fallout. Um, 
that that would be happening to that that particular genre. You know, Nirvana just so happened, and some of these sounds, you know, from like you said, Tad. Um, uh, let's see, Screaming Trees had an album come out earlier that year. If you were looking for uh, something slow and dirgy, you got the Melvins. I think Bullhead came out that year. I mean, Dinosaur Jr. I mean, you mentioned them all before, but gosh, all yeah. of that in one year. And then Smashing Pumpkins, which even though they were they were from Chicago, oh, yeah. Gish still kind of yeah. fit into that puzzle. It was, you know, like I, I would, yeah. I remember that I, I had a, a cassette that I dubbed from my roommate and one side was Nevermind and the other side was Gish. And I would play that cassette tape <laughs> co- constantly. That was like in my car. That was in my... How many times did you have to replace it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. So it was, it was, that was like my, that was like my soundtrack to like fall of of you know my sophomore year in college so so I'll, right yeah it, those two albums were huge to me but nirvana yeah. w- was just crazy because it's like first off it's one of those albums where some songs are better than others but there are no bad songs it's they're all instantly catchy and if I had one complaint about Nevermind, it was like the fact that it was so instantly catchy that you could kind of you kind of get burnt out on it after a while because it's just it's just so accessible that you know it's not a they're not a band I, I've listened to a lot since because I kind of got my fill yeah. and, and was so inundated in it that after a while I was like okay I think I've heard this song as much as I can oh yeah as as I could listen to it but I still it it still reverberates you know I saw. I don't know if you saw the recent trailer or the trailer last year for the new Batman movie that they're making. Did you see the trailer for that? The one, uh, the one with I probably did, but go ahead and refresh my memory. Well, it's it's directed by with Matt Pattinson. Yeah, directed by Matt Reeves, who okay. did who did the most recent Planet of the Apes movies, which I thought were great. And uh, oh, right, it's a great trailer because it's very moody. They're doing like a detective story. I'm getting off. I'm trying to get off track here, but I'm trying not to. But it was. It looks. But but in the background, they're playing something in the way all the way through the through the trailer, and it's wonderful the way they use it. It's like you would never think of hearing that song in a superhero context, but it totally works. So and it showed you that the range they had. I mean, they had the stuff like the bombastic stuff, like smells like Teen Spirit or In Bloom or Lithium. Yeah, they 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 were destroying destroying the sixties for the nineties. I mean, they just were ripping it up, man. The, your your peace and love and your baby boomer. Come on, everybody! Come and love your mom, you know, your brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it 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 was getting it was getting thrown thrown against the wall and left, just left, left. And and I think what's what's interesting about about never mind the, the thing that always I find puzzling about Nirvana is is Kurt Cobain is such a such an enigma in so many ways because here was a guy who from several interviews that I've read with him or that I've heard about him he you know when the album came out and was so successful there was immediate backlash of course because no one in, in our circle of in our generation there was we were up, it's so st- it's so stupid now in retrospect the selling out bullshit that people got freaked out about yeah cuz cuz now now, if you're an indie band, how do you get popular? How do you get popular? You get in a commercial. That's how you do it now. Yeah. 
you get it, yeah. you get in a, you get in a car commercial and that's totally okay. Now it's acceptable now, but back then, if you did a, yeah. if you did a commercial <laughs> or you did, you were, you were the devil and Nirvana just because of by their own success, you know, came that way. And he would always go off against, you know, against being a rock star, this, that, and the other, but from, but on other stuff I read, he was like obsessed with having hit singles. He, he wanted to be number one yeah. and, and he went, when, like when they made, Going, yeah, going. like when they made in utero, he made sure that, that they could have a cover that they could sell in places like Walmart, so that more kids could have access to it. So it's like he he, yeah. se- he seemed. I mean, we all know that he went out this world way too soon. We and we know that in his suicide note, it was you know, basically this kind of thing doesn't fulfill me. This, that, and the other. But I think really that was mainly influenced by drugs. I think he liked being a rock star. I think he liked being popular. Yeah. I, I just don't think he. I just don't think he. He thought he could admit it because it wasn't cool to do so back then. Yeah, uh, it was certainly part part of the the, the the really a DIY community that you didn't want to give in to the 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 corporation to have a hit single. Yet at the same time, you want to keep doing this outlet for your art. So you, if you're going to keep doing what you're doing you're going to have to have every once in a while a hit single. And it may not be on every album, but you have to have something that's going to make people want to buy your record or in these days want to stream your record or, you know, buy the vinyl that's on, you know, you know, gold, gold splattered vinyl, you know, you're going to have to find a way to keep yourself employed enough to keep doing what you're doing. And if you chose music, if you believe that music was your only, your only occupation, then you have to do something to keep it viable, keep it fresh, keep yourself interested and keep the public interested. And yeah, that, that was, that was the, the, the enigmatic part of Kurt Cobain is as much as he want, wanted to be the outsider, he had to be an insider. He had to be. He had to make those hit songs in order to keep keep himself alive. But I, I don't know what, what caught up with him. It, it may have been the drugs. It may have been part of that depression about, or the anxiety about which way do I go? Do I, do I just fully just, keep writing pop hit songs. I mean, cause really at the time it was, it turned into like this, the noisy Beatles. My, it, I was, well, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying my suspicion about, about him and Nirvana, I think since he was such a fan of bands like the Pixies and Sonic Youth, and we should also mention the Pixies came out with Trompe Le Monde in September too, which is a great, yeah. because um, it does not Brilliant. get, does not get the acclaim that it deserves, but that's, we'll, we'll save that for another time. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I just had to get that in there. But uh, <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> I, I I think I think that he he was probably maybe expecting he, to get Pixies big, you know, because that's yeah. that's still a, a very successful. If you were a Pixies band, you you get to be a mid sized band. You play decent, not large venues, but good sized venues, and you get a cult following who will stick with you through thick and thin. And you get to play it on both sides of being somewhat mainstream, but still not mainstream. And I think maybe he was expecting to be kind of in that category where instead he went into right. like, 
Guns N' Roses Metallica category as far as popularity, not 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 sound. But I think that that he, they just, which is why I think that he would get into beefs with with Guns N' Roses or gotten or you know would go off on the Pumpkins because he thought they were, they were too corporate, or he would go off on Pearl Jam. He he he, had, he seemed to have the, a real conflict on like on like where he fit in the food chain and 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 uh, he never he never talked shit about Soundgarden. Maybe because he thought Chris Cornell could kick his ass or something. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but. It, it's that it, it's that anyway to to really I mean I don't know if anybody that did talk badly about each other but yeah that's probably not good <laughs> but maybe they were all friends or something I don't know yeah it kind of predated the whole Blur Oasis thing so it, it didn't quite get as as, uh, right. <laughs> as 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 crazy as that did but it was right. But I think eventually Pearl Jam reconciled with him. I think he was pissed off about the Smashing Pumpkins because Billy Corgan dated Courtney Love before he did. I think there was some uh, r- yeah. rivalry there. But um, I, I think just the, I just at the capacity of the last venue that I saw Nirvana at, which was in uh, here at uh, Dallas at Fair Park Coliseum, and it says it's about eighty five hundred people. So as far as I know, it was sold out, but. That's a that's not too that's not shabby. I mean, who who would who would say that in, in another album or two they couldn't have been playing in front of twenty twenty thousand people in arenas? They're one of those bands that I just I never got to see live, and I just kick myself now. I just I'm, I'm so I, I had opportunity to go see them. Yeah, I, I hate doing that. <laughs> Keep doing that to you, then. I just, cause I remember I had an opportunity to go one time, and I forget the reason I didn't go. I think I was at a test, and then also I was trying to save up some money. And I yeah. just, I just, yeah. I just assumed, well, they'll be back in six months, and I'll go see them again later, you know. And that never right. happened. That, that, that never happened. I learned that my. Never happened. Yeah. I learned my lesson, but uh, yeah. I, I have you ever seen? Uh, you know, I, I think. You know, I think Nirvana are one of those bands, one of the few bands that, you know, maybe a modern day equivalent is Queens of the Stone Age, perhaps. But as far as they're one of the few bands that get to do everything on their own terms, they got success on their own yeah. terms. They didn't have to play a certain game. They didn't they didn't feel like doing a promotion. They wouldn't do it. And I think this is most infamously represented by their top of the pops performance. I don't know if you remember this. But <laughs> did you, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? And I'm going to play a clip in a minute when, when I edit this, I'm going to put the clip in there so people can hear it. But uh, yeah, he was, the band was on top of the pops to play smells like teen spirit. And he was expecting the band would play live. And they said, well, no, the singer plays live, but the rest of the band lip sync, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, so just play along, mimic it. You can play live if you want to. And he's like, okay. And so they get out there. Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic are selling it the best they can. And he goes there and starts singing. And he sounded like Morrissey, like a drunk Morrissey. Right. Like, Here we are now. Entertain us. <laughs> it was, and I'll, I'll, and I'll include a clip yeah. here so people can check it out. Cause it is, it is hysterical. Cause here he is the biggest band on the planet. And he's totally like not giving two fucks and totally, Zero. totally m- m- making a mockery of the whole, of the whole thing. And uh, and I was just I, I heard that 
I was actually listening to Howard Stern the other day and he, he was doing like, he was basically doing kind of what we're doing right now. He, he did a little celebration of Nirvana, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. Right. And uh, he played that clip. And then he also was talking about, and this is also, if you're a Nirvana fan, you should definitely seek this out. There was a really cool series. that was on VH1 for a while called Classic Albums. Do you remember that show? Oh, yes. Yeah. And you can yeah, find... I, I, I know you, you, you sent me a clip and I was like, oh, I totally remember that. Totally remember... I mean, okay, go, oh, you, you start, you start, because I got, I got a lot on it, too. Okay. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that if for those who haven't seen that show, you can find it on Amazon Prime. I think there's lots of clips on YouTube, which is where, I, where I'm going to include one here in a little bit uh, when we're talking about this. But uh, basically, uh, it, it, was, it was a look into Nevermind with producer Butch Vig, and let's, let's, let's give a tip of the hat to Butch Vig, shall we? One of the best producers of all time. Certainly the best producer, yeah. best producer of the nineties. Uh, I mean, but, and, and, you know, he produced both Gish and Nevermind. There you go. I mean, he produces yeah. so much good stuff, but he just, he had a way, he had a real talent and presumably still does of, of making singers who aren't perhaps the most dynamic singers sound really good. I mean, for one thing, he knew how to record Billy, Billy Corgan. Cause if you hear Billy Corgan from like melancholy on, I like that album, but, but his voice is so nasal. If you're the first two albums, right. somehow Butch Vig produced his vocals. They made him sound beat, made him sound like a better singer than he was. And for, mm-hmm. and for nevermind, he does an example. And I'll, like I say, I'll include this in a second, but uh, he uh, was, was basically, um, showing the multi-tracks for uh, in bloom and he isolated the vocals and he said that he wanted to overdub Kurt's vocals. And, uh, and Kurt was, <laughs> Kurt was very like, and he's like, no, that sounds too produced. I don't want to do anything. Oh. And, and he, he's like, he's like, yeah, but you know, John Lennon, he, John Lennon did he, it. <laughs> he, 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 he doubled his vocals and then he, and then he played them where he put them two together. And he goes, he goes, his voice sounds so good in stereo. And it was, it was so true. It was really cool because it made, it made him sound huge. And it, it just, yeah, yeah. Just his, uh, his, that kind of serrated sound he had when you, when you doubled it like that. It just sounded so, so, so cool. Is it, what were you going to say about it? Well, I, I was going to say that, you know, not not just the double on him, but the double on Dave doing the backups too. Yes, because you want to talk about taking it from oh okay yeah that's 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 really cool to like holy that that makes that makes the sound so much dy- so much more dynamic. Kurt did a double track, and again he didn't like doing double track, so I had to use the John Lennon reference. And every, every time he resisted, I said John Lennon did it. So he'd go okay. So that's Kurt doubled. And yeah, Dave. Of course, that sounded good, but then we thought, well, if we get to double Kurt, we might as well double Dave, too. So then we went in. Those are the songs that fill stadiums, arenas. You know, whatever you start, you start playing with the production, and it's you know Butch Vig's um, actual. You know, because I was like, I was, I was trying to think, where, where do I remember hearing 
which is big from because I remember I remember his name as a producer previous to Nevermind for sure. And so I was like, well, he did Gish, and that was earlier that year. I could have sworn I heard him somewhere else. And he did a whole, well, maybe not a whole bunch, but he did a couple of other Chicago bands, Laughing Hyenas. Well, I think they were Chicago, via, at least via Chicago on Touch and Go Records, and then Killdozer. And I'm going to have to go back and, and, and check his production work on those because what he was doing between the Laughing Hyenas in 1987 to what he did in 1991, 90, whatever it was, whenever they were recording, never mind. What a progression. That's got to be like a tremendous progression for such a, for, for a producer, you know, for him to almost kind of change a little bit, if not change completely. I think he produced Urge Overkill too before Nirvana, right? Am I? Uh, I thought it. I thought it was after. I thought was he it produced after. Was it? Was it after? Okay. Um, I was thinking of other Chicago bands. I think so. I think so. But I, yeah, I, I, I think he had. He had some work. Um, if I bring up Butch real quick, then I'll, I'll take a quick look at his catalog because I mean, not just him as you know doing his work in uh, garbage. Let's see. Killdozer as far as back as 90, oh, I'm sorry, 84. Laughing Hyena is 85. Uh, let's see. Urge Overkill, that was 1990. Yeah, okay. that was So yeah, you're right. Cool. You're right. I had that record too. <laughs> I had a, a lot of those records already. And then he did another sub-pop band called The Fluid. Oh yeah, um, I forgot about those guys. Their, yeah, you remember that? Yeah, their, their T-shirt was a ripoff of the Ford symbol. <laughs> yeah, I, f- I forgot about those guys. Ter- Plus, he did an uh, a uh, amphetamine reptile band that I I think I just had like a, a maybe a seven inch or two from called the Cosmic Psychos. And then, of course, after that, in '91, he steps into he steps into the, the pile that is. Smashing Pumpkins, Gish, and then Nirvana. Never mind. Oh, but he also did Eight Way Santa from Tad. That came out earlier that year. Interesting. And then shortly after, he's busy. <laughs> yeah, and he did like he did uh, Chainsaw Kittens, which I love that album. Flipped out in Singapore, which is mm-hmm. criminally underrated. And if you guys are interested in that, I've got plenty of Chainsaw Kittens stuff. Just Google it on my webpage. Yep. But uh, he also did that nifty remix of House of Pain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He actually made them sound really, really cool. It's a, it's a great remix. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. I, I really that I was like not into House of Pain, but that made me that made me take notice. So his he he's he's crucial, and there's always the endless debate of what's a better album, Never Mind or In Utero. I always the songwriters, the producer, you know. I mean, it, it's got to be a perfect storm. It's, it has to be a perfect storm. And and to me, it's like I think my my basic thing is I think if if In Utero came out before Nevermind, it would not have been nearly as popular. The band would not have been nearly as popular, no. if not the vice versa, because you needed Nevermind to kind of that little extra ounce of sugar to prepare you for where they were going next. Yeah, but, but uh, it's it is a per- I agree. It, it's just a perfect mix of like noise and and harmony 
the way that they would cut, you know, cut in like these kind of weird mistake outtakes at the beginning of songs. Totally, totally started that trend of like every album in the nineties had those weird fake starts and fake endings, you know? Um, yeah. There's a lot of that on there. They, they were, they were one of the first bands, at least there are some bands in the eighties that did it, not many, but they have a hidden track endless, nameless at the end of the, <laughs> yep. which was a, another thing that, that went on. You had to wait like 20 minutes. Your, your last track was like 30 minutes long or something like that. And then it was blank for like twenty, and then finally the songs the 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 the, the song the song started up. Yeah, yeah. You, and you, it played for three minutes, and it still had like another six minutes left, <laughs> or, or seven minutes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm going off topic here, but I I remember years ago I had a, a friend made me a copy of uh, or I borrowed a, a copy of Machines of Loving Grace. Remember them, that industrial band. Yep, and it, it was like their second or third album and I was listening to it and I was taking a shower because it had ended and while I'm in a shower I had this don't fool yourself and I was like who the fuck's in my apartment I was totally freaking out <laughs> I was totally so I, I started looking at the room and I'm like what so I'm like okay I guess I must have misheard, misheard it so I go lay down try to go to sleep with don't fool yourself and finally I realized it was a hidden track but I thought someone was like stalking me okay. it was it was terrifying I mean, anyways <laughs> Uh, just hidden tracks. We should do a whole hidden track episode sometime. We should do that. Oh my gosh! But I, yeah, because I'll have to think of the, there's there's a hidden track that is not at the end of one record, and I have to go back and try to figure out which record that is. It's at the beginning. You have to rewind track one. But and I, somebody you know that's listening to this podcast right now knows exactly what I'm talking about, and I cannot think of which record that is huh. <laughs> yeah think. it's really it was really strange it's like it, it's yeah i'm once again getting off topic <laughs> but what, what I, I digress what i what i what i remember about 91 so vividly was just getting in the car listen never mind going to a friend's house or a dorm room listen never mind uh, Walking, yep. walking from class to class, hearing a car drive by, playing something from Nevermind. It was just, it was everywhere. You could not escape them. It, it was, it was our version of the Beatles. It was that was like, you know, and fit, fittingly, their second single uh, in Bloom, they shot it like an old Beatles performance on Ed Sullivan. You know, with like a, with like the guy from People's Court doing his best Ed Sullivan impression, Nirvana. If you remember that, Nirvana. But yep. But but they were they were like. Yeah, it's almost like they knew before they knew that, you know, that that, that video really yeah. was kind of winking a nod to, you know, this is the closest. They were still so so tongue in cheek about their their popularity at the time that, that you were like. Are you sort of being funny? Are you serious? I mean, you know, back then we just thought it was funny. But now in retrospect, it's like. Maybe they were kind of serious about, hey, this is. This is the venue that, that we would have been in if we were in this time period. Yeah, you know, I mean, because there was no greater no no greater venue than Ed Sullivan, no greater venue. Period. It's 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 just Town shut down because Ed was on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's just it's so amazing how like the whole I felt like from Nevermind through I don't know I'll 
I mean, the end of the nineties, it was starting to kind of, the whole alternative thing was starting to kind of die out as far as like getting yeah. white yeah, exposed. But I would say from like 90, I mean, 1990 had played, but 91 was like the beginning of it to like 95. Maybe those, those were like the, the, the biggest yeah. years of that. And, and I think about how it felt like the inmates were running the asylum for the, for the first time, it felt like kids were like in charge of stuff. And, and we, cause we were never catered to as a generation, like millennials were with their, you know, or baby boomers. We just didn't get that kind of attention paid to us, but that was a time that was finally the time generation X got like catered to because they were like, these guys will pay money for this stuff. And we just got to find more and more bands, which is when they got ridiculous and they started yanking every band out of Seattle that they could, or or then you get the likes of Candlebox and junk like that. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it just collective soul creed. Yeah. All all that stuff just gets lumped, lumped into, you know, these guys, oh, you're going to love these guys. They sound like fill in the blank. Yeah, exactly. And it's like not even close. It's, you could try to, you could try to fill that, that volume, but, 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 but you just, you can't because it was just, it was so perfect for the time period. It was so infectious. That worked for some people on, on the, the side of where this wasn't their normal this wasn't normal for them day to day, but for those of us who enjoyed the other, the other part of what Nirvana was, which I mean, and in all the, in, in all honesty, I'm not sure that I can really pinpoint and describe what it was. Cause I think, I think the docs and cheerleaders like Nirvana for one reason. And then, the geeks and stoners liked them for the same reason, but somewhere they could pull apart their, the, the, the other personality traits from the band themselves that they identified or they didn't identify with, but liked anyway. Yeah. Sense, I mean, yeah. And, and what was weird about Nirvana, cause so many bands, whether it's the Beatles or you have all your pop artists now, you know, it's the, the, the lyrics are very, uh, I mean, the Beatles got weird later on, but in their early days, it, it was, it was, it was much more, I want to hold your hand. Now it's like whatever, whatever song that I don't know, Ariana Grande is going to sing all this kind of stuff. It's very predictable. With Nirvana, the, the first time to hear some of these songs, you didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. I mean, it took it, it took it was up to your own interpretation because half the time you heard what he said wrong because he was it, he, he mumbled it and mangled it so badly <laughs> that I mean, the first time I figured out that he was saying a mosquito and albino and a you know a, 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 a mosquito my libido, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, a mulatto, oh. a mulatto albino mosquito my libido. Let me correct myself, but right, but just just weird stuff like that or or breed, which is one of my favorite Nirvana songs, which was like some, maybe some weird fear of, of, of being domesticated. And maybe that's fear of having a child. Maybe that was, that was in there. And then you have Polly, which was playing a house. We can build a tree. Yeah. was like, you know what? I, I, I understand that. (laughs) Yeah. It it was 1991. Me understands that. It was just very. Twenty one B is like, uh, you know what? We built a house and planted a tree. Okay. <laughs> We're still here. 
We didn't do what, what Kurt said, but I'm sure he's fine with that. But Even it, though we didn't build a house. I mean, you know, that's but, semantics. <laughs> but but those, those are like the takeaways I get from that album, you know, or just like, um, yeah. you know, then you got stuff like Polly, which is just really creepy. Uh, mm-hmm. which, which, which according, which according to the liner notes of incesticide, he said that, that he heard stories that, that some poor girl was, was uh, assaulted by two guys playing that song repeatedly over and over, which is just extremely disturbing. Uh, if, if that's, if that's accurate, it's pretty, wow. it's pretty unsettling, but it just shows. Well, and it, go ahead. Keep going, keep going with your thought. No, keep going with your thought, please. I, I was just saying, you know, I mean, for Polly, he just, I remember he said he had this really cheap banged up acoustic guitar and it's just him and that guitar. But through that one short little song, there's so much atmosphere that that's, that's created. Yeah. And, uh, it just, you know, it's, 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 it's like, it's, I, I try to think like, what's my favorite song off? Never mind. And I think, I think the cool kid in me, the one who doesn't want to pick the obvious, would go with with Breed. But if I had to go with the singles, it's so I think I gotta go with Lithium. Mm. I think I have to go with Lithium as far as as far as just so anthemic, such a great yeah. way of, of, of the melody kind of bouncing around to like being this really beatific heavy thing going back. I just I love that that, that song t- and also a, a very like up almost upbeat for them um in in the in the melodic structure and then the lyrics which sound like it's you know someone in the in the depth of psychosis you know what i mean just the the, the way the way that you could tie all that together and make this kind of this joyous song that has these kind of weird underpinnings was always interesting to me yeah so if I had to pick a favorite song off of it, man, jeez, I really do like Breed because I remember 1991 me liking that so much. Um, in Bloom though, could be could be a real front runner, but I'm not. I am not going to dispute what I think was the game changer and that smells like teen spirit. It is. I, I, I can't, I, I can't, I, I really can't just because it, it's like, it's like the key that opened up the, the gate and, you know, there was a point then where it's like, well, I liked them before you did <laughs> and I'm pissed off about it. You know, because that's a song that everybody liked. Yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, it's the key that opened it up so that I could get my next Nirvana record. And then, then maybe, and which happened, I mean, just like it happened out in Athens, Georgia, whenever REM was, was, you know, coming up, they went to Athens and they signed everybody there. And then they went to Chapel Hill in North Carolina and, and signed who they could there. And then, Seattle was just happens to be a, a much bigger epicenter for hey, who can we get from here? Yeah, and and so uh, you know, I, um, I, I probably I probably would like to say that Breed is my favorite, but 
I have to give it to the key that opened up the door that that made sure that music that I enjoyed, not just from this band, but from being able to discover many other bands. Yeah. So I give it to Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, it was. It was. It's it, 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 it's a great track. It's still a great track. I listened to it twice today in preparation for this, and I didn't expect to do that at all. I thought, you know what? Let me refresh myself. It's been probably I don't know four or five years since I've listened to this record. Holy cow! <laughs> and, and and what a great album to come out for for guitar player because I was just kind of a, a, a blossoming guitar player at that point. I really hadn't picked it up till late. And, and I mean, thank God for, for that song and that album, because it was, it was, you know, they weren't trying to be virtuoso. It was very easy stuff to mm. stuff to play. So it, I, I think that it was very empowering for a lot of musicians to be able to play that stuff because, you know, maybe, Absolutely. maybe they couldn't play Injustice for All, you know, without, you know, doing some serious music theory, but, but you could play so like Teen Spirit by only playing guitar for a few days. You could, you could master that. <laughs> It, but that doesn't. You, re, you really could. But that doesn't. That, I, I, I think it's. I think it's doable. Yeah. Yeah, and and that. But get back. Get back to me. Whatever you want to do, rhyme with the inch mirror from Iron Maiden. Okay. Yeah. Just get back with me. Yeah, yeah, and and, <laughs> and and it's like it doesn't. It doesn't mean that that it's like simple minded or that it's primitive or that it's any of those things. It just means no. it just you know they just there was no fat there. It was all just lean melody. Simplistic. All yeah. You know, and very much like the Pixies, who, who they were, who they were yeah. an, enamored with. They, you know, because because what Nirvana and the Pixies and the Smashing Pumpkins, all those bands did so well was dynamics. Um, you know, basically for for people wondering what yeah. I'm saying, it's just it's just the most simplest terms. It's going from quiet to loud, loud to quiet, quiet to loud, loud to quiet, and all those bands did that very well. And Nirvana were, were one of the ones that really you know kind of helped sell that point that you know if you can shift moods like it's a, such a simple 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 technique but it's so powerful when you when you just go from something some dude and quiet to something loud and raging it really works and makes the song feel huge yeah yeah agreed i think we also have to touch on the you know uh, first off i want to say that there will never be I'm sorry, kids. You're gonna get mad at me for saying this, but there will never be the likes. There will never be the likes of a Nirvana again, as far as the mass popularity achieved in such a short amount of time, as far as the worldwide influence and and the the domination for weeks and months. Because this day and age, you put an album out on a Friday, by the next week you forgot what you listened to. It's just there's no time to let it sink yeah. in. It was just, it, there's too many avenues to get music from now. And also a lot, yeah. a lot of the bands that I would like, I don't know about because they're hard to find because it's not all pop crap, which is all that gets played mainly. Very few rock bands get played anymore, which is why I keep thinking one day we'll get yeah. a, a rock resurgence of like some real version of it, but I'm not seeing it. But, uh, as far as like, like the worldwide event of Nirvana, nevermind, I don't think that's possible anymore. Just the way I agree. Things are set up now, just just because of the internet itself. I feel like you, you just you know back th- back then we had uh, you know a handful of cable channels, and we had our radio stations, and yeah. we and we had physical media, and you had MTV, which played music you know a certain amount of bands every hour. 
So you had a very limited way of getting connected to this stuff. You know, you couldn't go to the internet to hear about a, a, a band touring or a new album. You had to go to your local bookstore or the grocery store and get a music magazine or call the record yeah. or call the record store up and, and, or look at their release date calendar stuff that kids today be like, what? But that was how we consumed it back then. So that I think just they, they, they came out slower. You had more time to digest it and you had a physical, you know, experience with it, a physical object that you could encamp. It just, it just seemed like it's just, it's, it you was, had to have a physical experience because you weren't going to get it unless you or somebody else you knew had it. That was it. That was the only way you're going to be able to experience it. That, that actual album is if you or somebody else you knew had a copy of it to actually experience and get the, 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 the full concept of what, Hey, what is this band sound like? Yeah. A, a lot of what I got was, was based on, um, at the time I, I relied on the, well, magazine yeah, rev- flash into re- reviews the ads from record labels. Yes. Because I would get like, I would get like maybe a spin magazine or something like that. And maybe sub pop had a ad in the back of their magazine about, you know, you know, mail in and order, you know, babes in Toyland or L seven, mud honey, you know, you know, anything like that and anything in that line. And, but then I was like, well, what's L seven like? I mean, do I want to spend, which at that point, you know, not making a whole bunch of money, you know, and, do, I, and see, do, I want to, do I want to send a money order for $8 to get a seven inch on, you know, or $20 you know, for a CD page, you know, you know, or, well, I'm not even sure how, how much CDs were. There, there weren't the, the CDs back then were still expensive. Maybe they were uh, from, from the Indies. Of course, you know, you had, um, uh, labels like discord that were always selling theirs for like $10 period. That was it. But and I like 90, 90% of what was on discord, but then on, um, labels like th- that, I just started to know like amphetamine reptile. And sub pop, four AD, touch and go. You know, well, four AD, they they were that was international shipping. They were expensive. That you know, they they were expensive. You know, so it was it was it was hard to discover this stuff. You had to have friend of friend stuff, word of mouth. Yeah, you know, MTV might have been. On the 120 minutes, an outlet. I mean, yeah, 120 minutes was was, uh, was big. That was that was that was really what what opened the door because for me it was uh, hearing Sonic Youth on uh, on MTV in like 1987 or 88 or something like that. So, and after that, I was I just was like trying to consume anything that was related to that, but it was hard to find. Stuff, yes. you know, bands that that were recommended if you like. 
Yeah. If you like Sonic Youth, then you you might like this band. Yeah, because really, because I wasn't going to get that at, at at my local mall record store. Yeah, I, I think a lot of ways you just kind of had had to just you know gun it to, like today. Like today, you get to preview something on YouTube, but but then it was like yeah. you know if, if you saw a song you really liked on. I really liked on MTV. I I, I I probably would just go out and just buy the whole album just because I'm like, well, maybe I like the rest of it. If I don't like it, I will still like the one song oh, at yeah. least, I guess. You know, or or you had or you had college radio. That was another avenue you could find stuff. And for me, I would like to go through look at Spin or whatever and look at the album reviews. If I saw a band that sounded like something I would like, I would go check it out. Sometimes I would just I would just buy one just based off a review. And you know, I was I was rarely disappointed going that approach. But Nirvana. Yeah. But Nirvana happened without me doing any of that. It just landed in my lap. I was this guy just said, "You like you, you like this band?" It was like I didn't I didn't need to discover them that way. They just they kind of just forced it upon us. And hey, Michael, do you like music? Yeah, it was Nirvana, and it was like that quick for me. It was like instantaneously, oh, yeah, I like music, like instantaneously. I'm like, <laughs> I, I I like these guys. You know, it's like this is yeah. But you know, I was speaking of modern stuff and, a, and a, one way that nevermind is being ruined for me lately or, or agitated is by this ridiculous lawsuit brought about by yeah. the, by the ba- <laughs> baby on the nevermind album cover um i don't don't yeah. i don't know his name but uh this is a kid who for years has recreated this photo of him swimming in original cut photos as a nude baby in a swimming pool chasing a dollar on a fish hook. And so he would recreate these photos wearing shorts, thankfully, uh, on other photos, uh, you know, know, showing him doing the same thing and then saying how much he, you know, he loved being on the album and selling signed covers of the album and doing an art show with stuff from the album. Then all of a sudden, a few weeks ago, he's, he sues the band for child pornography because the album cover is a nude baby boy that you can see the genitals. And this was never a big deal (laughs) for anybody the entire time the album came out. And now this guy, I mean, first off it's so poorly thought through because if you think about it, if he's if, if he's selling signed copies of the album cover, then he's selling child pornography according to his logic. So yeah. he, uh, you know, so I mean, it, put, put himself this, in jail. This is something that's going to be struck down really, really soon. I mean, just knowing the his his you know his attitude towards it even five years ago has been, you know. He didn't care. He didn't care five years ago what happened then. And by the way, if you have an issue, maybe you should talk to your parents. I was going to say the same exact thing, <laughs> but but you know they don't have any money. I'm sure, so that's why he didn't. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's all. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know if, how much or if they were compensated for it. In in this day and age, I would imagine that there's some sort of residual that somebody. You know, some lawyer is going to figure out. I, I don't know. That's your your legalese is way too much for my head to to deal with. But 
Yeah, it's it, it's a ridiculous lawsuit that should handily be thrown out. <laughs> I would but, imagine. But it's also to me, it's also kind of sad. I mean, this this kid, he was all upset yeah. because he sent out something to, to Nirvana. He wanted to invite them to some gallery showing whatever. And they said, you have to go through their business managers. And and he said, aren't I important? He said something to the extent of, aren't I important enough if to be a part of this album? Can't, why don't you guys want to hang with me? It's something to that effect, which is just crazy to think about that. He feels so entitled. Damn millennial. But you, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's strange. <laughs> and, 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 and I realize it's gotta be, it's gotta be really weird to be a part of something that you weren't even, you know, cognizant of when it came out and you, and you had no choice to be in it or not. I, 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 ha- I, I have to imagine that's pretty surreal to be on one of the best selling albums of all time and you have no memory of it and, and you were volunteered for it. You didn't have a say in the matter. So in that res- yeah. in that respect, I would get her that might kind of fuck you up a little bit. So it's, you know, but then I'm like, is the Goo Goo Dolls baby going to start chiming in is a, is are the kids right. are the are, 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 are the are the kids from Siamese Dream going to throw a riot and you know who's, who's next? <laughs> yeah, you know who who else is gonna is gonna is gonna join in here? You know, but uh, uh yeah, or the B girl or it's something. Trash. It, I I I don't think it's gonna have uh, the ending that he wants. But it just it just kind of bums me out because it's like I want to think of this album as this kind of pure Generation X touchstone and then like oh they got to ruin it by trying to put it into this context of of SJW you know <laughs> legal 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 stuff where it's like you know and I think I think that Kurt Cobain even made a comment that if someone had a problem with this album they were like sexual predators or something weird like that did you ever hear about that no yeah, let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, see if I can find it. Anyone have a problem with it? Oh. You're the sexual predator. Let's see. That would have been an interesting thing to throw back on Tipper Gore <laughs> for her. Let's see. For her, uh, what was it? Dirty? Was it Dirty Six? What's that? No, you're the. Uh, what was Tipper that that kind of language that would have been interesting to throw it back on Tipper Gore whenever she was um, trying to call out all the uh, I think she had her her, her, her dirty six and, and, and maybe I'm wrong on that I'd have to look it look it up but um, you know it had like Princess Darling Nikki sexual deviance oh really maybe you're the sexual deviant Tipper. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. This is it. Um, this is uh, Cobain said he would he would just add a sticker on the penis for the album cover, saying, "If you're offended by this, you must be a closet pedophile." Could you imagine? Oh. Could you imagine if that was the actual <laughs> album sticker? How, how great that would have been. <laughs> you like this? You must be a pedophile. So that's Cobain right there, just. Go 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 by that quote, and that that should be your legal, right. legal defense right there because that's that's just <laughs> there's no and I and I you know 
I don't know. The whole story is very strange to me. I feel like right. This kid must be just doing really bad. Oh, by the way, by the way, it was it was Tipper Gore's filthy fifteen. There you go. Yes, yes, yes. So you know, if you thought Judas Priest's "Eat Me Alive" had sexual and violent content, you must be sexual and violent. God, what was that? What was that? What was that one Scorpions album cover that was so terrible? It was. Oh, um, I mean, it it really it really is it really is. I, I would say borderline child pornography for that album. Either that 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 may have been Love Drive. I think that may have been Love Drive, the one where it looks like she's like coming up on him. Uh, let me. See. It's like is that right? Scorpions album cover. Scorpions. Let's see where. I think it's Love Drive. Virgin Killer. <laughs> oh, Love Drive is the one where he's got his gum stuck to her boob. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, Virgin Killer is. Oh, Virgin Killer. Yeah. It's like yeah, a, that's a bad one. Like a prepubescent. Yeah. Or basically. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how the hell did that? Oh, get... the other the other one I'm thinking of was Animal Magnetism. That's oh, what I was. Thinking. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. With with the, with the. With the dog next to the kneeling woman. Yeah, where she's like, uh, yeah, she's like on her knees in front of the guy, and he's like, "So hey." I mean, what's what's yeah. up? With, what's up with Scorpions album it, covers? It was a different time, Michael. It was <laughs> yeah. a different time. Scorpions are messed up. It's like scorpions. Well, you know, hey, it's Germany, which I'm really happy that my daughter's going to go to Germany for school. Just stay away so, from the scorpions. There we go. Stay away from the scorpions, honey. They <laughs> may not be relevant <laughs> at that point. I don't know. By the way, good live show. Just saying. <laughs> good live show. Just saying. But I, I, uh, I just in closing on this. All I really have to say is I just I look back on this time very fondly. You know, I I always you always yeah. hate you always hate when you see these people like baby boomers like. Man, you you don't know what it was like in the sixties, man. We were all hanging out, listening to Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. You just had to be there, you know that kind of stuff. You know, you always hear that kind of, it, you know, it's not as cool for you as it is for us. But it's like I feel like that was like that was that time for us. That there, there was something about the music in that era that was just felt so important. Like, and you know what I, I you know, I, I, as as much as I'll I'll. Let let them have their man. You don't even know what it was like, and yeah, you're right. I don't. I bet that was pretty cool. But my 1991 was really cool too, because I got a lot of great records that year. One of them just happened to change the dynamic of not just not just the Billboard charts, but the decade and um, I think that even the two thousands to an extent, because it, it taught people, it taught young people that were eight years old listening to nevermind that, Hey, you can play guitar. You can have a dynamic career in a band and be pretty good at it. And 
feed your family or at least feed yourself <laughs> through your SoundCloud account. I mean, I, I hate to bring this up in, in, into current days, but did you ever see Post Malone's last I, year during quarantine? I did. He did. I, I think he did. Never mind. In did he do all of Never Mind? Is that right? Correct me. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I watched it. I did watch it actually. And by no means am I going to fly a flag out in front of my house that says Post Malone fan. But it was pretty cool. But good for him. It was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. And he did it via, I think Travis Barker from Blink-182 was on drums mm-hmm. uh, for it. And it was it was done really, really well. So this album still resonates. At that point, it was 30 or uh, 29 years. So being 30 years... You know, well, it was, I'm not hearing anybody do Dark Side of the Moon anymore. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, you know. Well, I was, you know, it's like you don't want to base your base your love on a band by their Facebook likes. But I like to start out. Sometimes I, like, I just always get curious, like how many people like certain bands, you know, just I just, you know. Yeah. I just always. Yeah. Just, just find it interesting. Like, for instance, let's let's see here. So if I type in. We'll type in Nine Inch Nails. And Nine Inch Nails has 3,396,658 followers. So let's do Soundgarden. Soundgarden, we get 3,190,952 followers. So pretty close. Okay. And, And let's do... Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam, ten million three hundred eighty-five. Wow, two hundred twenty-one followers. Wow. But now let's type in Nirvana. Wow, Nirvana, or I'm sorry, Pearl Jam. Wow. Yeah. Find the band. Let's be nice. By the way, I heard they put on a great show. Uh, they played the first live show in three years uh, a couple of days ago. Played six new songs, I think. Who did? So, Pearl Jam did. Okay, as, as of um, today, yeah, I, I'm not sure how 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 far back it went, but um, how far that show was. But I think it must have been over this last weekend. But Pearl Jam still still knocking them out. Yeah. Okay. So Nirvana, twenty-six million followers. Holy mackerel! That just that just shows you. Wow. How 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 much the stain power? Yeah. Of you know, and of course, part of that is well, band that's not active. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know, and it's also the morbidity factor that you know a lot of times people die and they get more fans. I think that's that's sure. that, that's almost yeah. so that's definitely a part of it. But it just shows you just how. How how huge they were, and uh, yeah, going back to Pearl Jam, I've totally like come back three sixty for Pearl Jam. Like for a while, I liked them, that I didn't care about them, and I was kind of yeah, whatever. And now I've gone back to to really liking them again. They're, yep, same. Maybe it's same, absolutely. Maybe it's because they're really one of the last bands with like the 
people pretty much line up and still alive because we've lost so many. I mean, it's it's unbelievable to me that like talking about two albums came out the same day. Uh, you know, never mind and and Bad Butterfinger and, and both those singers are gone. Then you yeah. look at Allison yeah. Allison Chains and Lane and Mike Starr are gone. It's yeah, it's yeah. just. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about Mike Starr. Ooh, yikes. Then you go back to An- yeah. Andrew Wood, you know, who pre- predated Eddie Vedder. So Andrew Wood, yeah. It is, yep. It's just, you know, Scott, yep. and you got Scott Weiland, you got so many of these guys that, like, were idols to us, you know, or very influential to us. And and it's it's really bizarre how... We were fans, we, we, we were definitely fans of... When did Temple of the Dog come out? Because that was 91, wasn't it? I think that was 90. And not that... Oh, was that ninety? Okay, I think okay. so. I think I could be wrong, or 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 was early ninety one? That yeah, because that was another. Yeah, thing. I was gonna say it. Yeah. I think that may, may have been early ninety one because I'm not even sure if we had heard heard about who Eddie Vedder was really since he was you know I'm going hungry, you know. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, here's here's the guy that was on that Temple of the Dog track. Yeah, because all those all those albums kind of they came back, you know. It's like I, they they all they they were all kind of like it was all kind of a conglomerate because I I I, I, I do remember a, a friend of mine, um, uh, Cat, which if she's listening, hey Cat, she's in Utah now, but uh, she I remember her coming to me directly and or, or or saying, hey, I need for you to come over to my place. I have a record for you. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I, that's awesome. I appreciate it. So I went over and she said, this record is for you because I know that you will like it. <laughs> and it was Pearl Jam's pen. And it, it must have been a week or two before it came out because I, I'd, I'd listened to it for, it, I'm not sure how long before or before it came out, but I was like so familiar with, with everything on it by the time that it, it, we started putting it in rotation at, at our uh, record store that she was like, Oh yeah, you're going to, you, you are going to like this record. I know you will. So nice to be seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really was. I mean, you know, it, that was like our way of getting recognized or feeling connected to something. It definitely was. Yeah. And, 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 and that's that's really what what a lot of I think this particular episode is about is these were bands that were that had felt that they may have been part of a different part a, a different part of society, and no matter how popular we all perceive them as being, but whenever they still went back to their homes, whether it was a, you know, a, you know, a six room mansion or whatever you want to call it, or a two bedroom apartment, they all went back feeling the same way that, that they felt like there was something that they did that contributed to somebody's happiness. Yeah. And, and, that that's a connection that we can all take from this. And I think that's really what, that's what really what this music seems to me to be about is 
connection between who they were, even as rock stars, quote-unquote, to us who had one-bedroom studio apartments on, you know, the west side of Fort Worth. And no matter where they were, they they, they could have been in, in, in Seattle, they could have been in Washington, D.C., uh, but it, it, it's all about that connection, and that's what that's what these songs, these people were about. And you speak about connection. One thing I think that doesn't really get talked about enough in music is not only does music entertain us, but it also helps you meet other people. I mean, how many people have you become friends yeah. with because you like the same band or, or they were a cool band shirt that you wanted to every talk Every one of my friends. Yeah. Every single one of them. Every single one. Music was, music was the device to connect with people. And then the next part of it was who these people were and what, what they were like as people and how many connections I made with those people. I still have connections with today. I, I, I would I would say that that ninety over ninety percent of the people that I am good friends with, yeah, it starts with music, but after that, there's there's that other layer of of emotional connection to where it's it, music music is just an icebreaker. Let's be real. It's just an icebreaker. It's it it's to have some sort of tribal community, and and it can be with somebody who is into, you know, Nirvana as much as it may be with Alice Cooper. Talking to you, Joey. But I mean, wh- wh- wherever it is, wherever you are on your spectrum of 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 listening to music there's connection that you can make with people and music is the way is, is an easy way to do it. And, and, and it, it, it still, it makes, it makes things like quarantining a lot easier. It makes, um, getting out of quarantine easier. It makes you know, being able to, to go see a show together for the first time in two years easier. It makes a lot of things easier for a lot of people. And the, it, it, the power of music, man, is, is just stupid. And, you know, I get lost in it and, and, and forget about it sometimes. But then... I get reminded about days like this whenever I'm able to sit down with a friend of mine who lives miles away from me and we can talk about it and man, it it's just it's just awesome. I love it. I don't get to do it often, but it it's really, really cool. Well, Chris, I couldn't agree more, and it's always a great pleasure to talk to you about this stuff. Always good to go down memory lane. I think Nirvana Never mind that 30 holds up incredibly well, and it was fun to talk to you about it and kind of get back into the good old days, so to speak. And it looks like our next uh, 
episode, you and I are going to be diving into Octung Baby. And My Bloody Valentine's Loveless, if we have time, but definitely Octung Baby. Um, it would be good to talk about another great communal musical experience. So, as always, always fun to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining in tonight. Sounds great. Thanks. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, All take right. care. Bye-bye. See ya.